Amen. If you would, would you please turn to Jonah chapter 1. We start a new sermon series this morning entitled Repentance for Revival as we look at Jonah, Micah, Nahum, and Habakkuk over the course of the next few months. Uh, it is uh, maybe, some, maybe some books that are not as familiar to you as maybe uh, others that we have done in the past. Um, they are not typically, Micah, Nahum, and Habakkuk especially are not typical books that you may hear preached on a Sunday morning or may hear taught in a Sunday school, but they are part of God's Word. And so I'm excited over the next few months to go through these together with you. They are not always going to be easy. I'm just going to put that out there now. There's going to be some hard lessons um, there's going to be some hard mornings when we hear things that will trouble us, but by God's grace, I pray that every time we gather that we see the hope of the gospel. Um, and certainly, uh, I'm thankful for gathering together this morning. Nathan already mentioned this once, but uh, when we started this project, what feels like forever ago, one of the things that we looked forward to that as your pastor I looked forward to was one family under one roof on Sundays. And uh, not saying that it always went off with a hitch, not saying that this morning even always went off with a hitch, but what a blessing it is to gather together as the family from start to finish on a Sunday morning. And so thankful for that. Hope that you'll join us for that uh, as we continue to move forward. Hopefully by now, though, that you have found Jonah chapter 1. If you would, please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word this morning. We're reading the whole chapter, so if in the middle of that somewhere you need to take a seat, completely understand that, but let's come to it together this morning. Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And then they came to one another Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us what on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and, what, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. 
Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning with thanks. Lord, how could we not? (laughs) Lord, as we come into this place with these people, with our church family, and we, we eat together and we learn together, we praise together, we share together, how could we not be thankful? Lord, you have done great and marvelous things in our midst. Let us speak of them. Let us sing of them. Let us remember them. That we may share it with others. That they may be encouraged. And that they may know your love as well. Father, I pray this morning as we hear from your word Do things only you can do. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Before we dig into Jonah too far, I just want to introduce you to this sermon series just briefly. The title of our sermon series as we go through these four minor prophets is Repentance for revival. It is a main theme through many of the prophets, but especially these four, a call to repentance that leads to life. Repentance, after all, if you don't know that word, repentance simply means to turn from the direction you are going to a new direction. And it's when it's used in a biblical reference, when it's used in in connection with God and us, What it means is is that all of humanity is walking the wrong direction, that we are seeking the meaning of life, that we're seeking happiness, that we're seeking joy and contentment, that we're seeking solutions in all the wrong places. And what will happen at the end of that is destruction, that our rejection of God and our embracing of the world's things ultimately leads to destruction And that's what we see in the minor prophets. And we see it throughout Scripture, but we're going to see it over the next several months. That if we continue to follow our path, that nothing good will come of it. In fact, some pretty horrific things will come of it. However, God calls out through His Word, repent if you will turn the other direction and face God and start following Him rather than knowing destruction you can know blessing. And though, as we read through these four books, there are some heavy things. 
There are some even, I would say, as I've used the word earlier, some horrific things. But there is always hope. There is always grace for those that will repent. And so my hope is, is that over the next several weeks, as we hear from the Word of God and in in, from some books that we don't normally hear preached, that you would listen closely for that hope, that you would allow God to challenge you in some areas, that you would allow God to, to maybe cut away some things that should no longer be a part of your life, that you would repent, and that it, you would see the joy and the hope and the peace that that brings Jonah is no different in that he is that book, he as a prophet speaks of repentance and of the life it brings. But it kind of starts out in a roundabout way, in a way that we may not expect. It's the book starts with Jonah's disobedience. And so as we dig into chapter one, I just want to give you a little bit of the context of the book before we get too far. First, Jonah is a book that in the academic world is probably picked on more than any other book that we see in Scripture in terms of being taken and, and um, applied as being either satire or a parody or, or just straight out fiction. It, for some reason, the miracle of a fish or a whale or whatever you want to call it, swallowing a man is it's just real enough. We, I was talking with somebody this week about that we've actually had a story in the last year. I saw come across the news of the modern day Jonah of a guy getting swallowed by a whale. It's just real enough to be unbelievable, but just so fantastic to be unbelievable. And so, whereas some of the miracles in Scripture are so outlandish that we just we naturally accept them on faith and understand God had to do that. For some reason, this story, we, we pull apart, we try to explain it by natural means, and we try to forget that it is a miracle, that you can't explain the story of Jonah without God, that it is something that is impossible without him. And so our attempts to explain how this is possible, I think, are somewhat misplaced. But Jesus speaks of Jonah as a real person. When you look in Matthew 12, Jesus is having a discussion with the Pharisees, with the teachers of the day, and they are demanding a sign. Jesus says, I will give you the same sign as Jonah. He's referring to Jonah being in the belly of the fish for three days and his own resurrection or his own death and resurrection that will take place over three days as well. But he refers to Jonah in that passage in such a way that we come away with the conclusion that Jesus himself speaks of Jonah as a real person and of what happens to Jonah in this book as a real occurrence. It is why I will do my best over the course of the next four weeks not to use the word story, but to use the word account. Because for us, in our context, story often means fiction. But this is no fictional account. This is the word of the Lord. So Jesus speaks of Jonah as a real person. Another important context is to remember that Jonah is referenced in 2 Kings. Often when we read the book of Jonah, we make a false assumption that Jonah is a newbie to this whole prophet thing. That Jonah has never had a word of the Lord spoken to him before. But what we find in 2 Kings chapter 12 is that 
or excuse me, not chapter 12, chapter 14 of 2 Kings, is that Jonah has been a prophet by this point, that he has already been speaking the word of God to others. But up until this point, he has been speaking it to the nation of Israel, his own people. He has not gone out of their borders, outside of that context. But he is no newbie to being a prophet. In fact, he is no newbie to being a prophet in difficult circumstances even. We, as we look at 2 Kings and the time period that Jonah's ministry is happening, he is ministering, he is prophesying under a king who is not a God follower. And more than likely, that meant that many of the people that he was talking to were not God followers. So his message was not popular in his own home. And so he had no difficulty, he, had no, uh, he was uh, no rookie at speaking to people that did not want to hear the message. Not only that, but not only was he a prophet, but he spoke in a time of relative peace. Sometimes, some of us may hear the word Assyria and rightly uh, tie that to the Assyrian conquest of Israel. However, that had not happened yet. Some of you may know the story of Israel being disobedient to God and the northern king being northern kingdom of Israel being overcome by the Assyrians and then being dragged off into exile. But that had not yet happened when Jonah is doing his ministry. At this time, Assyria actually has helped Israel. Israel had been under the thumb of another group of people and Assyria had come and attacked that enemy and allowed Israel a time of peace, a relative time of even prosperity where their borders had expanded because they didn't have enemies that were focused on them. Everybody was focused on trying to slow down Assyria at the time. Now, this would not last, as I've already mentioned, this time of peace. Israel would continue to be disobedient to God, and ultimately God would discipline them by the hand of Assyria. But when Jonah is speaking, there is relative peace in the land. So a couple of things to remember here. Jonah is real. Jonah is already a prophet. He has been speaking the word of God. And that Assyria at the time was not a direct threat, at least not yet. Okay, so that kind of sets the stage for Jonah. So let's look at our chapter this morning. Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1 starts out with Jonah and God's command. Looking back at verse 1 with me just for a minute, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for the evil, for their evil has come up before me. So Jonah, sorry, Jonah gets a word from God. Now a reminder, Jonah's a prophet. A prophet's job, a prophet's occupation, a prophet's ministry is to speak the words that God gives him to the people that he sends him to. We have people like Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, all of whom are prophets. The last of the prophets is John the Baptist. God gives a word to the prophet. 
Usually it is a word of repentance telling people you are going the wrong way, turn around and go another way. And he usually sends them to a specific people. Sometimes it's to Israel, sometimes it's to the tribe of Judah, sometimes it's to the whole of God's people, sometimes it's to uh, people in a foreign land. But generally there is a message for a specific people, a specific time. Jonah is such a prophet, and so God's command to Jonah is go to the capital of Assyria, Nineveh, and speak to them. And God gives this command to speak a direct message. The message is, you have been evil. There are, is evil in your midst, and because of that evil, judgment is coming. God is absolutely a God of love and a God of grace. God is absolutely a God of mercy. But God is also a God of justice. And we should like that. That is a good thing. That we serve a God who does not let evil go on forever. But that God does, in his perfect timing, bring justice to those that have committed wrong. Jonah is sent, Jonah is sent to the capital of Assyria, to Nineveh, to give just that message that their time has come, that God's judgment is around the corner. It is a message that he had probably spoken to Israel itself, just as many of the other prophets had spoken to God's people, that God's judgment is around the corner if they would not repent. It is a message that we are given. We don't have prophets, so to speak, so much anymore. But in the sense that we have all been given a message, and a, a message even of repentance, it's a it's a command that we find for ourselves. Acts chapter 1, Jesus is preparing to go back to the Father in heaven. And he's leaving the disciples behind. And he says this to them in Acts chapter 1 verse 7. It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Matthew 28 tells us that we are to go and to make disciples. You see, this call of go and tell does not reside with just Jonah and the prophets. It resides with all those who follow Jesus Christ as their Savior. You and I both have a calling, a command upon our lives to go, to make disciples, that others may know that the day of the Lord draws near, but that they can face it with hope and peace, that they can know his mercy and his forgiveness and his love. So as we read through Jonah and we read through this book, don't separate yourself from him. Rather, identify with Jonah as an individual who has entrusted their life to God and has been given a command to tell others about him. Now, Jonah's response here is not what we would expect, nor would it be what we hope for. Jonah's response is to run. 
Looking back at our passage, it says, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship to Tarshish. He paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Tarshish would have been kind of our, our, our thought process. Tarshish would have been the farthest west he could have gone on the map. Any farther than that, and he's going into uncharted territory. And I'm not too sure that as you think about Jonah and what he's doing there, that that's not his point. That he wants to go where he can't be found by God. He's willing to go into uncharted territory to get away from God. The problem with that response to a holy God is that it's ridiculous. We had the, the kids stand up here earlier and you can't hide. God is always watching. And the world is not that big to him. <laughs> To us, it seems expansive and huge, but to him, it's like, yeah, there you are, there you are, there you are. Running from God in disobedience is a very sad game of hide and seek. A very sad game indeed, because he will find you. David says in the Psalms, where can I go that you are not? I cannot go to the deepest, deepest valley. I cannot go to the highest mountaintop. You are there. Jonah's response is ridiculous, especially for someone who has spoken on God's behalf before. He knows better, and yet we often do the same thing. We think that we can run from God. We may not physically do so as Jonah does, but we try to hide in other things, whether it's our busyness or whatever the case may be. Jonah runs. I was talking with the youth this morning, and thinking about my own experience with Jonah. And my guess is, is that many of you have been taught this book, this, this account, since you were a little kid. Many of us learned about Jonah when we were two or three years old, or maybe a little bit older. But it's a book that, and, and even, even those outside of, of church that are in, uh, in the secular world, pretty much many of them know the story of Jonah being swallowed by a fish. My guess is, is that some point down the line, you were given a reason for why he runs. You're given a reason for why he runs. And the most popular reason that I have heard growing up was that Jonah ran because he was afraid. That Jonah ran because he was afraid of the people of Nineveh. That he ran because he was afraid of the message that he was going to have to preach. That he ran because of, of God and he just didn't want to obey but what we find is that's not the reality. We actually see his reasoning in chapter 4. So if you would, you probably, if you have my Bible, like my Bible, you don't have to turn the page. Maybe a few of you do. But go to Jonah 4 really quickly. Because Jonah tells us why he runs. And it changes the book. Chapter 4, starting in verse 2. I'm going to start about halfway through 2. He says, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Jonah says, I'm going to tell you the reason right now why I ran. He says, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast and relenting from disaster. Let me read that again. This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. That is not fear. 
<laughs> he doesn't run because he's afraid. He's, he's running because he doesn't want the people of Nineveh to know God's grace. Let that sink in for a moment. The man of God, the prophet of Israel, does not want to go to the people of Nineveh because he does not want them to know grace. He does not want them to know love. He would rather them meet destruction. If you don't believe me, read the rest of chapter 4. It makes it pretty clear. He doesn't love these people. He has no compassion on them. He believes that the grace of God is reserved for the nation of Israel and no other. That's why he runs. It's not out of fear. Remember, he's preached in a context. He's, he's, he's declared the word of the, Lord, of the Lord in a context where people didn't think it was good. He has preached, he has prophesied to a king who did not follow the Lord. It is not because of fear that he runs. It is because of something a lot more heartbreaking. But run he does. That he may get away from this command. That he may get away from these people who he hates. That he may not have to declare God's grace and God's mercy to them. Run he does. And what he finds is not, God, not only that God can find him, but that God will not leave him alone. You see, Jonah not only confronts God's command in chapter 1, but Jonah confronts God's discipline. Reading, starting in verse 4, it says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What did you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. God's discipline, we understand when we read Jonah that the storm was sent from God. Jonah runs from God's command, but what he finds is that he cannot escape. In fact, what he finds is that God will not leave him alone, but rather God disciplines Jonah. Now, there is a difference here between discipline and judgment. Judgment becomes upon those that are not God's children, that have rebelled against him, that are the enemies of God, and God brings them to justice. Discipline is, with, is, is uh, held for those that are his children, Paul tells us that if you are adopted into the family of God, that you should expect discipline, just as a child should expect discipline from a good parent. But discipline and judgment are two different things. Discipline is meant to bring about correct behavior, behavior. Discipline is meant to grow and to mature and to keep one safe. Discipline is the tool of a good parent. I discipline my child not, not because I wish her harm. 
I discipline my child because I wish her good, because I love her, because I want her to grow up into a productive, mature adult that thinks about more than herself. I want her to, to grow up and, and to be safe. I discipline her when she tries to touch the stove because I know that it's bad. It's not because I dislike her. If I disliked her, I'd let her touch it. I'd let her learn on her own. Sometimes I think that would be more productive, but that's not what a good father does. Right? We discipline. God does the same thing with his children. God sees his children doing the wrong thing, and he says, that's not what's best for you. That's not safe for you. That's not where you need to be. And so he disciplines us. Sometimes, sometimes we go through the storms of life and we just think, woe is me, why are these bad things happening to me? Sometimes, sometimes we need to realize that we are in the middle of a storm because we have been running. Because we have been disobedient. Not every time. I'm not saying every storm of life, not every difficulty in life is caused by disobedience, direct disobedience. But there are times in our life when God sends a storm into our life that he may get our attention to say, stop running. Stop running. Maybe this morning you're sitting here and you're listening to this sermon and you would say, I'm in the midst of some pretty difficult things. Friend, I say this for good, not for harm. Have you sought him? Have you asked him to help you to understand the storm? To see if the Holy Spirit would reveal to you it's because there is disobedience. It, it may not be so. Certainly we see other times in Scripture where the storm is for a completely different reason. But it is worth asking the question, is it, do I need to repent? God sends the storm to Jonah. One of the interesting things about discipline, though, is that Jonah's disobedience and God's discipline impact more than just Jonah. I'm sure when Jonah ran and God on that boat, he never intended for this to happen. He never intended for a storm to come upon these other sailors. But I'm sure that he thought that in his running, that his disobedience would only impact him. That his disobedience would have no other ramification than what he himself may bear. But what we find in Jonah is that disobedience and discipline rarely impact just you. They rarely impact just that individual. We see here that the storm comes upon the whole boat, that all of their lives are in danger, that all of them are at risk of the boat breaking apart and them drowning. We see that there are even others that maybe we're not quite aware of, that they hurl the cargo of the ship into the sea. There are livelihoods that are cast into the ocean. There are merchants that were depending upon those goods getting to where they needed to go. There were those that were wanting to buy those goods whose lives are impacted, surely not at the, at the state of their life, or at least we hope not. 
But there are other people that are impacted by Jonah's disobedience and by God's discipline beyond just him. Let me give you a today situation that we, we face in our church. I, I don't share this to guilt trip anybody. I don't share this so that, that everyone will come running up saying, I will do that now. But I just want you to, to see a picture of this. It's, ju it's just an illustration. We have right now three assistant openings in children's Sunday school. We have kindergarten opening, we have first through third grade, and we have fourth through sixth grade. We have advertised that. We have made that known. We have put that out there for everyone to hear. If you've been in attendance, if you've read your bullets in the last month, maybe month and a half, you, you should have seen that. We've made an announcement, okay? There are openings that are there. This week, we had some ladies step in and say, we will just do it. It's not because they're called to do it. It's not because God had put something on their spirit and on their heart that, oh, I need to be the one that, that fills that gap. They are simply doing it because they have a servant's heart and they know it needs to get done. My guess is that there is someone in this room, and maybe they're outside of this room, maybe they're not here with us this week, but there is someone that God has been working on, that that's your spot, that he has designed you, that he has placed you in this place at this time to, be, to fill one of those roles. And you're like, I don't really want to do that. I know that I'm supposed to, but I don't want to do that. And so I'm going to resist that. I'm going to run from that. And you think that won't, it won't affect anybody but me. But actually, it affects a lot of people. It affects a lead teacher that, that doesn't have your personality there beside them. It affects these women that have, have volunteered to do and to fill a position out of need, not because they were called to do it. And it takes them away from something else where God would use them there. It impacts kids. If, if God is speaking to you to fill one of those roles, my guess is it's because there is at least one child in that class that your temperament, that your personality, that your life story, that your sense of humor, that your interests, that your passions, that your approach to, to scripture or your approach to life in general speaks directly to them, that you are the best person for them to hear about the love of Christ from. And your disobedience impacts them. And it's, it's not just assistant teachers. There are lots of ministry positions in a church. We are one body, Paul says. We are one family. And we all have a role to play. We all have a spot to serve. And when we choose to be in disobedience to that the body suffers. We don't work the way we're supposed to. We don't, we don't run as efficiently as we could. There are things that get missed or things are not done as well as maybe they could be because we're missing something. You see, very rarely does our disobedience impact just us. Often it impacts many more people than we could ever imagine. Just as in the same way, our obedience impacts many more than we will ever know. There are Sunday school teachers 
VBS workers, custodians, kitchen helpers, ushers, deacons, everyday people who will never know the impact they had in my life because of obedience. In the same way, when we obey, we will never know the full extent of what God has used us to do. Impact, disobedience and obedience go beyond just Jonah and they go beyond just us. Jonah also sees God's discipline from the storm and the impact goes beyond Jonah. But something else is kind of neat, or maybe not neat, maybe interesting here is that it is evident to everyone around him. It's evident to everyone around him what is going on and what the problem is. These men are in the midst of this storm, these these guys who don't believe in the God, they believe in a lot of idols, they believe in a lot of fake gods, but they are in the midst of the storm and they are, they are rightly freaking out and they are trying to figure out how to, to get past this. They're trying to figure out how to survive and they are praying to whatever they can get their hands on and they come to Jonah, and Jonah's asleep, and they're like, what are you doing? And they wake him up, and they, they begin to ask him to pray, and they begin to cast lots to try to figure out who's, whose fault this is. But I think that none of them are surprised when the lot falls on Jonah. He had already told them, the scripture tells us, he had already told them, I am running from God. And they look at him, and they're like, yeah, this is your fault. <laughs> they don't need Jonah to tell them that. He does. He says, this is on me. But they see it, and they're like, yeah, it is. And just a, as a quick side note, this isn't the main part of the sermon. This isn't a, a, a main, a huge thing that I want to dwell on for, for long, but I just wanted to make this point. This is why we have a church. Because if you're anything like me, when I'm in the midst of a storm, I am blind. <laughs> I can't see. And my understanding goes out the window. And I begin to get off track even more just because I'm, I'm in a panic or, or I'm dealing with grief or, or something and, and I just can't see things rightly. I can't see things honestly. And I need people to come alongside me. I need brothers and sisters in Christ to come up to me in love and in grace and say, what are you doing? Do you even know what direction you're headed? We need to be there for one another. When we withdraw from the church, we withdraw from our greatest help in times of crisis because we need that support. We need the wisdom of, of believers filled with the Spirit who can speak the truth of the Word into our lives, who can give wise counsel. The thing about God's discipline is it is also often most easily detected by those who are not in the storm themselves. This is why we need fellowship with one another. Jonah hears God's command. Jonah runs and faces God's discipline. But the other thing that we see in Jonah chapter 1 is God is the other thing that we see in Jonah chapter 1 is that Jonah finds God's irony. Now, irony is an interesting liter literary tool. It is when something happens that is unexpected. It's when something happens that goes against what we would anticipate happening. It is often used for, at times, comedic effect. 
It's often used as a way to focus us upon the main problem of, the, of the, what is being written. To see, so that we better see and understand the main point. Jonah chapter 1 is filled with irony. God uses it over and over again to draw our attention to what he is trying to say. And so I just want here at the end of our time together to focus on three of these points and then we will be done. First, notice the irony that the shipmates pray while Jonah sleeps. It says that they begin to pray to their gods and then the captain came to Jonah and says, what do you mean you sleeper arise, call out to your God? The irony that these men who are heathen, they are unbelievers except for in fake gods, that they see the crisis and they begin to pray while the one who knows the answer sleeps is meant to catch our attention. It's meant to catch our attention. The second, the shipmates fear the Lord when Jonah does not. Jonah is given a command to go, and as a prophet of God, he should understand the weight that that comes with, and we would think that he would respond correctly. Instead, he thinks that he can run. He thinks that he can somehow get away from God. While the shipmates, those that are, are working on this boat, when they are faced with crisis, rather than run from God, they run towards him, or at least their fake gods. And when it becomes evident to them who is the one true God, it says that they make a sacrifice and vows. They become believers. So the shipmates pray while Jonah sleeps. The shipmates fear for the Lord when Jonah does not. And the shipmates have compassion when Jonah does not. God sends Jonah to Nineveh. We're told at the end of chapter 4 that this was a town of approximately 120,000 people. A huge city for its day. Massive. God sends Jonah there with a message that if they do not repent, if they do not stop acting wickedly, that there is judgment coming, that destruction is on its way. But Jonah's answer to that is let it be. <laughs> he has no compassion, no desire that these people would know the grace of God. The man of God, the prophet of God, turns his back on those that are perishing. Meanwhile, Jonah boards a boat and it is sinking. And even after he reveals that it is his fault. These sailors have compassion. Notice their response. He says, he says to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. What is their response? Nevertheless, the men rode hard. The Hebrew there probably is best translated that they dug in. If you've ever been on a, on a ship that has oars and you've been against the wind, you know what this means. They, they bowed up and they went to work. Why? 
because they had no desire to see Jonah die. They had compassion. Even though it was his fault they were in this predicament to begin with, they had compassion when he did not. It's irony. It's meant to drive home, all of these are meant to drive home a point. Will we allow the same irony to be true in our lives? We see a world around us that is crazy, to say the least. We see a world that is becoming more and more hopeless. And we see individuals around us in our very own community that grasp at anything they can to try to find stability, to try to find hope, to try to find peace and contentment and satisfaction. They are praying to false gods of money and success, of relationships, of temporary happiness, while the church sleeps. Or will we pray? Will those that have the true answer to all of these problems, will we arise and pray? Will we point the way? These shipmates have compassion when Jonah does not. The same is true. Can we say that there is no irony in our lives? That that we who have been given the gospel, we who God has looked at and said, I will have grace upon you. We who stand on this side of the cross and see clearly God's plan of salvation, who know that we have been saved from destruction, will we look at others and say, you get what you deserve. I don't, I, I use social media now just to look up people. I, I very rarely use it to actually gain information or, or to scroll through. I don't watch certain news programs because it breaks my heart. Because I see those that declare themselves to be believers that declare that they are on the Lord's side, but they have lost sight of the enemy. They see those that disagree with them. They see those that, that live lives that certainly disappoint us, decisions that disappoint us. They see them doing things and saying things that we are in shock of, and they have decided that they are the enemy and they declare that they get what they deserve rather than remembering that he is a God of grace and mercy, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Some of the people of God have decided that others don't deserve him. And that should break our hearts. It is a sad irony that God's people are not the most compassionate people on the face of this earth. Oh, friend, can we see others? Can we see those who, yes, would declare themselves to be our enemy? Can we see others who, yes, proclaim something that we know not to be true can we see those who, like Nineveh, are living lives in sin and evil and see God's grace towards them 
Not all will respond. Not all will be happy with the message. But that's not up to us. We are to go and to preach repentance. To preach His grace and the love that He has shown to us. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up. And we're just going to have a time of response this morning. Maybe this morning that there is, there is a need in your life for repentance. Maybe it's repentance for disobedience. Maybe it's repentance that, that you have misplaced who the enemy is as well. And that you know that God is calling you to share His grace with someone and you have resisted that for, for a whole number of reasons. And you need to repent and ask Him to give you the courage and the strength and the love to go to them. Maybe this morning you have never experienced His grace. This morning He offers you a free gift if you will just come to Him to ask for forgiveness and say, I want to follow you. He offers life. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and again, we remember what you have done for us. Lord, that you loved us first, that you died for us, that you have shown grace and mercy and patience over and over and over again, that you have never looked at us and said they get what they deserve, but rather you have put what we deserved on the shoulders of Christ that we may know blessing, that we may have hope and peace and joy, that we may live life and live it abundantly. Father, I pray, help us to view others the same way. That we would not be like Jonah to desire that others may perish, but that we may desire others to have life. Father, we ask, Lord, do a work in our hearts this morning and help us to respond accordingly. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.